Hello, and welcome to episode 196 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is almost most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the cascading biogenic pulse. This week we're going to be talking about Star Trek Nemesis on your Why Is Your Head Shiny podcast. I installed new lights <laughs> and it's just been freshly waxed. <laughs> oh, I had so much fun watching this with uh, Joseph yeah. because I got to turn around and look at him and ask him why his head is so shiny oh. and why his face is furry. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Nice, nice. Before we dive into this week's show, we just want to remind everyone that we want to hear your thoughts for the episode 200, Pop Culture Deprived. Um, as we've said before, and as we said in our announcement, it's going to be our last episode of Pop Culture Deprived. But we are uh, looking forward to hearing what you've thought about the show, what you've disagreed with the show, what you want us to talk about a bit more. And as we said on that announcement episode, if you want to subscribe to our new show, you can look up Movie Fight Club on your podcast app of choice and subscribe to our new show. You can hear the preview for the new show, because we haven't actually recorded it yet, but fine. <laughs> I loved the emotions on your face, Jen. You were like, oh my god, that's so terrible. Oh, there's something new. <laughs> that was great. So, if you uh, have noticed, we do have a guest on the show with us this week. We would not do the last Star Trek film without having Jen back on to talk Star Trek with us. I am very happy to be here to talk more Star Trek with you guys. Are you really happy to be here for this one? I am happy to be here with you guys <laughs> for this one. All right, all right. That's fair. Time spent um, discussing Star Trek is, is time well spent. That's even right. when it's nemesis. That's right. <laughs> yes. But back on for the three-peats. Obviously, you joined us when we started this for Wrath of Khan. You joined us for the start of the... Uh, next gen films with generations, and now we come to it the film that killed Star Trek for seven years. Aww, Great. Yes. I'm so glad we finally made it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I expected this film to be so much worse than it was. You, you watched the wrong film, reactions. is what I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I actually did enjoy this one. It's not my, it's definitely not the best. It's not the strongest, but I enjoyed it. And I wonder if I enjoyed it so much more because I have seen Picard. I would say mm. that's a strong possibility. Because um, Picard does build on a lot of things that were set up in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think Picard really picks up a lot of the promising seeds that this sort of has in it. Mm -hmm. And coming at it looking after you've seen that might have given this one a better light than we felt it back when it was airing. Yeah. Now, this is a weird one because I did watch this one when it came out. Um, I don't remember anything about it. I, Which at that tells point, us a lot. it would have been the only <laughs> Star Trek film I had ever seen, I think. But it was in a time of my life where I was like, ooh, I like the show Star Trek The Next Generation. There's a movie. I should watch that. Did I don't you? think I knew. I, I think I was confused. I remember being excited that Riker and Deanna got married. And that's really the only thing I took away from it. Okay. At that point. Maybe Nothing the else. trauma of Data's death was just so much you blocked the rest of it out. Maybe, or I probably just didn't care for a really long time. <laughs> and now I super care about the world of Star Trek, so I'm really glad to have seen it. Okay. And and I think to set out the stall, you said you watched it with Joseph, and we have I heard did. on social media, Joseph likes this film quite a lot. This is one of his favorites. Fa favorites it. Star Treks or favorite films? I think both, actually. <laughs> Woof. He loves this one, and I believe your head exploded when you found this out. Yeah, I'm really sorry for the for the next like 45 minutes we're about to have. <laughs> I actually think um, this is kind of going to be kind of funny because I think Mandy's going to be coming at it 
with Joseph's, you know, fandom there. Mm-hmm. He watched it with her. Um, so I think it's going to be a bit of the shoe on the other foot where she's going to be a bigger fan of it than Matthew and I might be. Mm. And we are the more long-established Star Trek people. Yeah. So. Which in some ways might be part of the thing of it. I did have to go away after Joseph made a couple of comments and be like, is it because of my Star Trekness? Right. I'm not enjoying this. Mm-hmm. Or is it just because it's a bad film? Right. Yes, that could be part of it as well. Well, well, I've realised that no, it's a bad film, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hardy as a young Patrick Stewart was bad. It's it's such a shame because I rem- I remember the the build up to this film. The, the this was when I was deep in my read everything about a film that's coming up that I can watch every documentary, see every behind the scenes photo, and I remember this announcement was this young British um, stage actor who is getting lots of rave reviews as being a great actor, is going to get this role. And it's like, that's really exciting. We've got someone new and up and coming. It's not sort of stunt casting like they normally go to. Mm-hmm. And you're right, he's not good, but he's still Tom Hardy. He is arguably the biggest star Star Trek's had in it for quite a long time. But, I mean, he wasn't at that point. No, exactly. And it's a shame that he's not very good and this is not a thing he's remembered for because... <laughs> It's really similar to Looper, what they did with Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even with mm-hmm. the sort of prosthetics, you know, giving him a Patrick Stewart-style nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really work. And we, it's like even worse because we've seen it work better when they did it with James McAvoy in the X-Men and they just went, he's Professor X, just live with it. We don't make him look the same. <laughs> right, yeah. It was funny, Joseph had apparently forgotten because as soon as they showed his face, they he went, oh my God, that's Bane. <laughs> it's like, I forgot Bane was, was what's his face? I don't even know his name. Yeah. Yeah. Shinzon. Clone Picard. Hmm. Shin, Shinzon? Shinzon. 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 Okay. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't hate it. I don't think it was a great movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie. And I think it fits into the ideals of Star Trek. You think it does? I think it does. Okay. Overall, okay. the overall message. Because, I mean, the message of this movie, it's it, it hinges a lot on Picard's personal ideals, mm-hmm. more so than the Federation's, which we have seen before. We talked about that a lot, I think, in the last mm-hmm. Star Trek movie. Um, but it's also very much about what it means to be human. And I think Star Trek uses the word human to refer refer to people, not humans. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't mean the species human. Yeah. Because data is a human. It talks about your humanity, but in terms of your personhood. Mm -hmm. And it's very much about, you know, freeing the slaves and wanting to free the Remans. I think Picard was on board with that. And very much into this idea that you are you are the product of your choices, not your DNA. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I liked the message. Yeah, the nature-nurture thing goes really hard in this, which mm-hmm. is cool. Fine. No, it's a good story to do. We've seen it quite a few times on Star Trek. And they set up the idea of it with B4. Who I meant to look mm-hmm. up. He had other names in the build-up to this. And I can't remember what, what they were. I think they used different sort of codes for him in different mm. iterations of the script to see, like, which script gets leaked. Depends on what name is used there, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, the the essential idea is set up with him and then they try to live on it with Shinzon and Picard. Mm-hmm. I think I'm about to go into full-on rant, so I'm going to pull back from that. <laughs> no, please <laughs> because do. We, but because we have a guest. We have someone we want to yeah. come on and discuss with this, and I know Jen is much more eloquent about this stuff than I am. So, mm. <laughs> I think... I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to save the rant if, we need to, if I need to get into it later. If we need to get into it. Because any part yes. of this film, I can look at and go, this is what they did wrong there. <laughs> Which is my big Aww. problem with it. Fundamentally, it just doesn't. It never gets anything right. I've, yeah, there's definitely bits along the way that 
it's frustrating how one small change could have yeah. <laughs> made like a profound difference right. in the quality of the film. Yeah, absolutely. So I I yeah. think I'm going to stop talking. Okay. which I know is hard for a white man on a podcast. Jen, what what do you want to say about this film? What are the things that stand out to you as either areas they should have changed or things where you want to tell Mandy and Joseph directly to their faces that they're wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the nature-nurture part, like it does get brought up with B4 hmm. and then paid off with Picard and Shinzon. But I don't know that they really... Because then... It, at the very end scene, they also have B4, who's, like, whistling Data's song. Mm-hmm. So it almost, like, to me, I didn't feel like it came down as clearly as it could have that we are the product of our choices. Because then why is B4 just repeating Data's singing programming? Mm. Like, why end on that note? So I think Picard definitely has a revelation of like, you know, I am a, a product of my privilege, perhaps, mm-hmm, of, of mm-hmm. the, you know, situation I was in. I wasn't, I was able to be an explorer and not forced into a position of a warrior. And that makes a difference. I haven't thought as much about that aspect of it. I don't think mm-hmm. as Mandy and Joseph may have. <laughs> I read that end scene as a little bit more hopeful because... Up until this point, all of B4's, I mean, because they downloaded all of Data's memories into him. So at that Mm -hmm. point, he was essentially a less advanced Data. He had all of Data's memories and experiences, but everything since then started changing him, apart from the fact that he wasn't as advanced. So he didn't have the knowledge and feel like he didn't have the emotion chip and, you know, all of those things. And so he had the ability to start becoming his own person. And I think even though he was whistling Data's song, because that's from his own programmed past and experiences, it also shows that he has the ability to become more, which is what Data wanted for him. Mm-hmm. So I read it just as hopeful. And I didn't read it as he's essentially like data is still alive and before because data and before aren't the same okay you disagree with me no i i, I think like the the absolute point is it's saying if you had those memories and those experiences you would then be the same person and making those same choices uh-huh. and you're absolutely right there are fundamental differences in the makeup of that robot man um yeah, I think what it, what it's trying to say is that if you have all those memories, you are the same person, and that's the nurture mm-hmm. aspect of it that overrides the nature, the DNA. Mm-hmm. I think with Data, they're just trying to set up a thing of like, oh, but he's not really dead. We could make him again because yeah. he's not a real person. May have been some fan service as well. Mm. We're going to kill Data, but obviously not kill Data because we have a Data replacement in place before we even kill Data. Yeah. It's the equivalent of Spock putting his cartridge into McCoy. Like, just in case we get the chance. Just in case. Maybe, I wonder (laughs) if because I have, maybe my experience watching Picard and knowing that B4 is dead, there are no more, Mm -hmm. um, what you call it, and Data survived, you know, in the photonic, I don't know. Positronic. Positronic, that's the word, Yes. You know, and so recognizing how those experiences impacted Picard in the future led me to believe Data's dead, dead, and this wasn't supposed to be a replacement because it mm-hmm. he wasn't a Data replacement. So I can, I think I can understand why you guys would have reacted so negatively. Yeah, seeing it the first time. Yeah, I was gonna say I think the experience of watching it back then has definitely jaded my opinion on it a bit Mm -hmm. um just because it was like yeah data can't or brent spiner can't keep playing data because data's not supposed to age and brent spiner is Mm -hmm. and then it's like well let's let's do a new android that's like a prototype that can look slightly different and have it in there just you know so if brent spiner wants to keep making films and make more money that uh Mm -hmm. it's okay there's a part for him that (laughs) can look a little older and beat up so 
a bit of that cynicism I'm sure is creeping in. Yeah, and it's you know, it's not a good death. It's fairly no. brief and just Odin. It is definitely not a good death. And that's definitely one of the things that I would have changed about the film. Uh, like, I think there was an opportunity for a really good, like, three-beat somewhere in here where Data and Picard are on the scimitar mm-hmm. on Shinzon's ship and Data's breaking him out. He makes the point of commenting on the Riemann language and how it's pictographic and very complex. And he's trying to break the code. And they never pick that up again. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if they had brought before on board and had him drawing things that they couldn't make sense of. And then Data realizes mm. part of mm. what makes him realize that B4 is a plant is the fact that he's been drawing these things. They pick it up when he escapes, and then when he gets back on the ship, if instead of him just, like, shooting it, he's trying to deactivate it, or, you know, mm. having to interact mm. with it again, and it's just a challenge he can't overcome, and... That would have been, I think, a much more heroic way for him to to have ended. Instead mm-hmm. of him just being like, yep, I'm just going to blow it up now. Yeah, if he can okay. re-enable the force fields that he took down with that code, that stop the right. beam and do sci-fi stuff. And if he and Picard Ooh. are trying to work on it, and then he realizes I'm not going to be fast enough, and he slaps Picard with the transport thing, and he beams off and it blows up. Mm. That I think would have been like a a much more satisfying sort of way for him to have ended up. Yeah. Because but... he even waits to shoot it until it's one second. Yeah. Yeah. I hate when films do that. It's the worst. <laughs> Give yourself time. <laughs> and they were just close enough for Picard to beam away, mm-hmm. but not for the ship to shake <laughs> yeah. at the explosion shot at all. <laughs> so I have a question though. So. The explosion. This, this so the weapon was a specific kind of radiation that when it touches matter basically makes it tetrahedron not something, matter. Something, something. Yeah. <laughs> so making the ship explode shouldn't have destroyed the radiation. Wouldn't the explosion have dispersed the radiation, and the Enterprise still would have been clouded in these particles? But it, or is that just it science that we're handling? It would have been a beam of the radiation. Maybe the beam is like dragon's breath. It's two chemicals interacting, and if you <laughs> blow them up, they're harmless. Maybe it's okay if it's not very strong, but when it's concentrated all in one f- spot, it's uh... yeah. Science, yeah. handwavy mm. science, mm-hmm. science fiction. Science. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The the biggest thing that kind of annoys me about all this is that it's Picard having to go through the nature versus nurture thing. And generally behaving in non-Picard ways. After after 15 years, I kind of don't want to see the captain being shook to his core by meeting this thing and unable to act at times and questioning himself over this. Like We've had movies where he's done that and we've obviously had a whole TV show where he did that fairly regularly. And at this point, I kind of want him to be the leader and not having to learn lessons from Data anymore. The lesson that we learned and that he passes on to Riker is that when you're a captain and your number one tells you not to go on away missions, you ignore him and do it anyway. That is the lesson of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think I understand your frustration. I just, the next generation is Picard to me. And so that's what I expect coming into a TNG movie is I expect Picard to be the main character and I expect him to be the one Mm -hmm. with the arc. And granted, it's 15 years of character growth that's kind of incrementally the same growth every time, but I don't care. (laughs) I mean, truthfully, I, I don't care. I like it anyway. I can see him being understandably shaken at meeting a clone version of himself Hmm. because i mean obviously it was done without his consent or knowledge Mm -hmm. um and and i'm okay with it being about picard because in, in real world world terms it was you know picard and data that were commanding the biggest 
salaries. They drew yeah. the biggest mm-hmm. numbers. So it kind of has to be about them if you're going to get them to be in the in the movie and they need a substantial role to play. So I, I kind of can forgive that. Um, but like, I just didn't find that the theme around it was um, as elegantly done as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And partly that's also just because they really leaned into this being a, a big action movie. <laughs> lots of well. lots of ship battles and fights, and they had to have lots of screen time on that. Um, hmm. At the at the sacrifice of, you know, maybe developing the plot more. Yeah, or Whoopi Goldberg or Will Wheaton, who were excised from this film despite <laughs> being in the film, so that we can have more of Worf going. Beep. <laughs> Beep. Okay, yeah. Why were there so many shots of buttons? <laughs> right. There were a lot of shots of just fingers pushing buttons in this movie. That was weird. Weird choice. And, and you expect that on, like, you know, Deep Space Nine or Next Generation episode 20 out of the 25 episode season, where they're like, okay, we need to save some budget. Let's have a really big space battle where we watch them watching a monitor. lots of people talking on radio to each other um not in the big film that does you're absolutely right has like half an hour space battle that keeps escalating like oh there's now more ships oh we're doing this oh we're ramming them oh we're doing this and none of it matters (laughs) yeah the whole thing doesn't actually help the film and when you take just half a minute to think about it too hey we're you know being pursued by romulans and we're rendezvousing with the fleet, and we just happen to plot a course through this space where we don't have communications and sensors. <laughs> like, the pilot needs to be fired who plotted that course. <laughs> uh, just, like... Could we say like, that he why? needs to be shot out of the front of the ship? Well... <laughs> because... <laughs> I, I guess they did that karmic thing for us. I don't know, but... <laughs> it's just like, you're, you're commanding one of the, the, the flagship of the mm. fleet. And that was a bad choice. That was just yeah. rookie mistake. There were some directorial choices that are kind of suspect well, for me it, in this one. I will give you that. Just to wrap that up, that I yeah. think that is the fallacy of the design of human ships to put the bridge like on the outside of the hull at the very top. Like mm-hmm. put it in the middle of the ship in the really secure area where it's really hard to blow it up and right. drive the ship from there. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. It's Star Trek. All of the panels are just packed with explosives, anyways. Yeah, right. <laughs> You've seen what happens? Like they just blow up at the drop of a hat. The, so. the bit where he beams Picard and the panel starts sparking. <laughs> Pretty sure they don't use electricity. Come on. <laughs> uh, the okay. director, Stuart Baird. Again, this was coming off executive decision and U.S. Marshals announced new big upcoming action director. Uh, mm. Marina Sirtis has basically called him an asshole and said he was a giant Ooh. wish of space um, and other comments along those lines. Okay. Bummer. Yeah. It's, it's, and at that stage, it's really hard because, yes, there is so much to talk about in his direction and in the choices and in the lighting and, and the bit of the pressing buttons, the way he shoots Deanna as though she's like some 1950s Morticia Adams just with the light across her eyes. Right. And then the way he shoots Ron Perlman so he looks like something out of the Gargoyles cartoon. Um, always from below looking up up his nose yeah, essentially it just but when you hear other people so. actually saying no no he is terrible like oh okay we all agree then yeah okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> and particularly the treatment of Deanna in this I think she has lots of grounds to call him an asshole yes mm-hmm. yeah so Jen you mentioned a thing about you know doing stuff with non-consent mm-hmm. let's talk about Deanna's plotline yes mm. yes she essentially gets sexually assaulted mm-hmm. in the film. Mm-hmm. And when she is reporting it to her commanding officer in the medical team, without even a beat in there, her commanding officer asks her to endure it again if it happens. Because, hey, it might be an advantage to us. It might help. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. That's where I partly think it's directing, because I think... Given, like, that scene could be shot in several ways. Mm. One in which Picard actually shows empathy despite the words that were written for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this where he just absolutely is not even thinking about it from her perspective at all. 
And um, even later in the film, the only time she actually cries is when Data dies. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. again, her grief can't be centered on her and her own experience. <laughs> no. It's centered on, you know, a man mm-hmm. and what's happening mm-hmm. with him. It, it, it really is showing. It's like, welcome to the early 2000s where rape is a plot point, not a lived experience. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I... I would also say, like, Rick Berman was involved in the story, as he was in much of Star Trek The Next Generation. And Star Trek The Next Generation has a lot of similar problems. Mm. Um, you know, Deanna faces trauma multiple times throughout the show and is never really given much mm-hmm. depth to it. Mm. Um, it's get over it by the end of the episode, and it's very mm. often turned and more centered on to how her trauma impacts the men around her. Yeah. So, well, and it wasn't even a necessary plot point. No. That's the it big added problem. Nothing. Yeah. Like <laughs> why is this even in the story? Why do we have her being Riker's possession so he can then go and get revenge later on? Yes. Um to presumably to give Jonathan Frakes something to do, but there are ways of doing that to focus it on Riker. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this is the great Riker I've heard about. Well, you know, you're not captain yet. You're terrible. That's why they've never given you a captaincy. And so Riker feels he has something to prove against this guy. Done. Um, hmm. But otherwise, Deanna has nothing to do in the film, sadly. And gets replaced by Seven of Nine or something. They even kind of, I feel, make it creepy. Shinzon is talking about how he is Picard. Mm-hmm. How he, like, my feelings are your feelings. And then they show him violating Deanna. Oh... Oh, I'd not thought that. Oof. And then oh, if you look at Picard's either. toast at the beginning with mm-hmm. the wedding, um, it just and and I think I kind of have a hunch that this is like maybe Rick Berman's influence on mm-hmm. it because it's very paternalistic. It's very like you can't be friends with a woman; she's always a sexual object to you. Like it's it it just reeks of all of that, mm-hmm. and it's. Yeah, very disturbing when you actually think about it and what's said and how Deanna's treated. And, I mean, that's actually a good way to go in terms of his obsession with Deanna, not necessarily making it sexual. That is just weird and unnecessary in what they did with Star Trek in this time, where Mm -hmm. kisses were rewards for good behaviour from women to men, things like that. But Picard has a line of... No, you're not briefing my new counsellor. You know too much about it already. You're absolutely right. They return to that, and Shinzon's like, you know him so well, I want to learn about him from you. Not the him he presents, the him he really is, and and tries to use the telepathy in that way, and tries to invade her mind, make it an invasion and a violation, but not about Riker then getting revenge for what you did to my wife, or... Yeah, maybe Ooh. make it an invasion of her mind because she is somebody who knows his psychology better than anyone else. Yeah. And they can mm. use that to their advantage mm. rather than I want to imagine myself having sex with her. Yeah. Which is unnecessary and weird. And, but I like that. I like that as a turn yeah. of... Mm. It's a shame they didn't do that, eh? Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. a shame they made a big action film where Picard suddenly seems to like driving a buggy. Yeah. So that's in there because he does in real life. Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. Like driving off-road vehicles. Okay. Um, I I can't remember where that came up, but um, I read that because Data knew one of the writers. And so the two of them were talking about it as it was being written. And he was like, we're going to need something to get Patrick involved. And they knew Patrick had to be involved. And so they were like, well, let's, let's let him like, drive around and have fun driving because he enjoys driving and driving off-road vehicles. So that's why it exists. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, man. Seriously. <laughs> oh, and this, that scene did not bother me at all. Like, I understand that it's weird that a captain, the starship captain, was doing it, but it just, it didn't bother me. It's a buggy. It's not even like a sci-fi buggy. It's just a buggy. It... The only reason it bothers me is that with the terrain on that planet, there's no reason they needed something other than a shuttle. <laughs> I mean, the captain says that he wants to try it out. So, I mean, ostensibly, that's their reason is mm. this new fun piece of equipment and he wants to try it out. Um, 
But that whole scene on the planet has other problems to me as well, because it's like, here's a pre-warp society, you're gonna run around on the planet with, I guess the buggy would fit in more, but then you fly off in front of them in a, in a shuttle? Like, is that not violating the Prime Directive? Like, did you not think this mm -hmm. through better to try and, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So again, yeah, just don't think about it for, for yeah, very just... long. Like, okay, fine. They've got this new bit of equipment that they want to try out because in the year 2379, we've invented buggies and off-roading. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Matthew, you are super bitter about this it's, movie. It's, like, it's, it forms such a big part of the opening, and the only reason it's there is so we can then get the unsafe velocities in the shuttle at the end going through the Romulan ship. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see why that's there, because they might as well do the bit at the end anyway. Like, it doesn't... And like I say, it's really hard because everything I can pick up about this film, I go, oh, I wish they'd done that better. Oh, I wish they hadn't done that. I wish they'd changed that. The Remans. I mean, first of all, it's Romulus and Remus. Like, you're taking the metaphor too long. These are not planets that suckled at the teeth of a wolf and formed a city. Come on. Um, <laughs> Though the Romulus and Remus thing was there from, like, earlier than this. They didn't jump off of that mm, here because it was talked yeah. about... <laughs> In Next Generation. Like, I don't know who's talked about in the show. Right. But certainly, like, the materials that I, as a fan, was consuming was, were like, oh, this came from Romulus and Remus. And okay. It's very, it's very Roman. Oh, um, yeah. Everything about the Romulans is incredibly Romanesque. Mm -hmm. So. So I was confused because, I, I mean, I was aware, given how much of more recent modern Star Trek stuff there is, that there were Romulans and there were Remans. I thought they were much more similar in physiology and appearance than what we get here. And so I was very surprised to see a Turrican from Buffy on Star Trek. <laughs> the the Remans appear in this and two episodes of Enterprise. And and that's, that's basically it? them using Enterprise to try and make Nemesis and the Remans a thing. Because it's, okay. it's set after this or filmed after this. They're, okay. they're... So maybe I've just heard the name and just assumed they were the same. Yeah, it's... Uh it's an annoying development because Romulans have always been interesting they're cloak and dagger and really as intelligent as Vulcans but as ruthless as humans and you know an interesting species and we did cool stuff with them in DS9 let's do a cool story with them here except let's kill them all turn them into the good guys and invent this new race who are basically kind of smart Klingons and it's really problematic when you stop to think about this race that is basically prosthetically, you know, monstrous, mm -hmm. as ruthless as Klingons. Obviously the bad guys here, mm -hmm. and have been enslaved up until this point. <laughs> this is what happens when you free slaves. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> like, lots of problematic... None of it works. <laughs> we, we live in white supremacist soup that mm. creates well, this I mean, kind of thing. Yeah. They were saved by a bald white dude, too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, white savior in there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So they, they pick as their savior somebody who is literally a human. Mm. Yeah. And, and like Mandy mentioned a thing about all freeing the slaves and the Remans coming to power and so on. We, we see the, the destruction of the Romulan Senate. But there's clearly a whole story in there of how they got to that point and the cloak and dagger stuff that happened and so on that we just don't get to see. I'm like, that yeah, sounds like a cool really, story. I was really confused about the Romulan politics in most of this movie mm -hmm. because they, it felt like there were a lot of things happening behind the scenes that they just didn't tell us. Mm. So, which is very in keeping with Romulan, mm -hmm. uh, the Romulans of Star Trek. Um, so I've, I've read the tie-in novel. Okay. That's like the prequel to Picard. And they go into the Romulan politics all around the, their son dying and it's going to go supernova. And there's more reference to them having slave planets and, um, lots of their politics is them lying to their own population about what's happening. Okay. And... Mm you really get the sense that there's a lot of cloak and dagger, a lot of propaganda. Um, there are no, like, free presses there. It's entirely propaganda. Right. Um, that is very much the the world that Star Trek has built for them. Okay. 
Because mm. then there, there is a story you could do in there about the changing of power and almost the sort of the Soviet thing of glasnost and freeing up trade internationally and working with other countries and a different overriding ideology that Picard has mm -hmm. to go and work in. And, you know, you've got the stuff that they did with the unification and the possibility of Romulans joining with the Vulcans that we now know much more about. But we don't get that. We get big action film, buggies flying through space, Picard learning a lesson. Yep. Good. And, you and don't quite destroy the ship, but no. we really wreck it up a bunch. <laughs> they do give mm -hmm. Deanna an opportunity to drive the ship and destroy it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's take of what we do in movies. You know, Star Wars, R2-D2 stays the day. Star Trek, Deanna crashes the ship. That's right. It is quite exciting, though, because so many of the episodes and movies and stuff do a, like, ramming speed thing. And they never follow through. And they finally got to follow yeah. through on something. So mm -hmm. it was kind of cool to watch. But then there is a moment once it's done of like, what now? It was kind of anticlimactic. It really was. <laughs> like, because it didn't hurt the ship enough to make it unflyable. Yeah. And it should have. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Basically brings the ship in close enough so that Data can have his fly through space maneuver. Mm-hmm. <sighs> And then my husband said that it was like the a repeat of the Picard maneuver, but done badly. <laughs> um, this is what happens when you Picard maneuver with no warp speed yeah. and do it badly. <laughs> you just fly into their ship. Okay. Yeah, that data jump across the ship thing. Even that, I'm like, why is that in here? Why have we got this triumphant moment? And then he's on the ship. Just... It, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add anything to the sort of gloriousness of the sci-fi shots and so on. It's like, okay. So he was put in charge. I now he leaps it. across. Fine. I, I thought it was a badass way for him to get there. <laughs> I did. I liked it. See, that's the thing where you could do the, the extreme sports thing they do. is not buggy driving. It's hurtling through space at high velocities and dodging stuff or something like that. And then it comes to something useful later, you know. Anyway. Mandy, I think you had a question. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I do. I have a question. Did they explain, and I just missed it, why Worf is on the crew of the Enterprise in this movie? Like, I assume he was there at the beginning for the wedding. Mm -hmm. But then he's just on the crew and on the bridge. And we know he's not supposed to be there because he's Click, doing cling things on the Defiance. Well, he's he's Klingon and... ambassador at this point. So this is post DS9, I think. Okay. Yeah, the timeline gets real fuzzy once we start getting to DS9 and stuff, because I've only seen that through once. But, I mean, he's very clearly not... We know at this point he is not a crew member of the Enterprise. So why? Is it just at this point everybody expects him, so they just don't even acknowledge it? Probably okay. he was there for the wedding, and he's supposed to be at the Betazoid ceremony, and that's where they're going to. Mm-hmm. Mm. When this gets happened, right. when this happens, I meant to look it up to see if they ever had a reason, because um, the movie doesn't make it clear. No. Okay, that's what I thought. I, I was just making sure I wasn't missing something. Yeah, they just wanted you know to get pictures of him pressing buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. A lot of buttons. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you guys make a lot of really really good points. I will give you that. But I was still entertained and I enjoyed it. So that's where I am on this. I think we're stopping this podcast too early. <laughs> you need to watch a lot more films to, to see that this is this is a pile. <laughs> <laughs> there are bad movies that I enjoy. Okay. Like, I think this movie could be better. I think it has potential. Um, But I enjoy the universe so much that I just don't think I care. Okay. And they use Irving Berlin. Like even yeah. that, even the use of an Irving Berlin song is annoying. I liked it, but it's so damn catchy it's been in my head since yesterday. It, it, am I right in thinking it's part of the Great American Songbook? I have no idea. Effectively. The, the, the classic American songs that people grew up singing as part of the greatest generation. It's not. Yeah, it's, I guess probably it's up there with like Sinatra and stuff. Th this isn't even a sort of Western English speaking. Oh, the word supremacy is not right here, clearly, but the, but 
focus. It's not a Western know, focus. It's me. a it's an American focus because in Europe mm-hmm. that's not a song. Like you have to be really into your music to know that song. And there, I mean, it's not popular. It's certainly not a modern song. It's it's mm. it fits because when I think about Data, particularly trying to become more human, I often think of his essentially Sherlock Holmes cosplay and all of the period stuff they did in the hol- mm-hmm. holodeck, and so. For a song like Irving Berlin's Blue Skies to be the song that he kind of has latched on to makes sense to me. It wasn't surprising and it doesn't feel out of character or mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. It's kind of jazzy and mm-hmm. Rikers in the mm-hmm. jazz. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other jazz songs that are not famous in America. I've been listening to... Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of their Star Trek po- podcasts, mm-hmm. um, the Trek News Weekly podcast, and uh, a few of the others, and they have a lot of people from the UK on, mm-hmm. and a few of them have commented on how American Star Trek is, and mm. I never stopped to think about it until I heard them commenting on how heavily mm-hmm. it is tied into the story of America, mm. um, mm-hmm. even going back to its origins as the as TOS, so... I can see why they would pick like an an Irving Berlin song because it is very like American, yeah, mm-hmm. focused and things like that. So it, it's just that there's there's so many other choices they could have made. You could have done um, yeah. so what a wonderful world, which is kind of the same song in a few ways, but really famous everywhere. People have heard that song. I just at every step this film annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish our listeners could see your face. <laughs> like I've never seen you look this annoyed ever. <laughs> and we've watched some things that you absolutely hate, but I think that because this is Star Trek, yeah. it's just so much worse for you. Yeah, and it's the Star Trek that killed Star Trek. Frankly, it's it deep. <laughs> yeah, it's really deep. <sighs> I'm never getting my DS9 yeah. film because of this film. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. Can I can I lay claim to the one great thing about this that's a favourite, and then we can talk nice stuff if we have nice stuff? Please do. Sure. This film's got Janeway in it. The Sona, the Borg, the Romulans. You seem to get all the easy assignments. It's Admiral Janeway. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Love that bit. I, I loved that bit as well. I would have just slightly, slightly changed it. Mm-hmm. For them asking for Picard and the Enterprise, instead of them just happening to be the closest ship there. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Since, you know, clearly he's been plotting this. Mm. Mm-hmm. And either he knows the Enterprise's movements mm-hmm. and waited for his coup attempt to happen when the Enterprise is in a nearby <laughs> sector. Or... <laughs> He plotted his coup attempt and then demanded to talk to Picard in the flagship of the Enterprise. Is, is that why B4 was on a planet so close to the neutral zone? Right. To get into that See? position. and, and hmm. It kind of makes more sense if... Other yeah. than, hey, we just happened to lay the, the yeah, seats yeah. for a very specific ship, not knowing where the <laughs> ship would be. Mm. Um, yeah, again, small choices at every every step. But they did have yeah. a Voyager cameo, which is cool and awesome. They and, did. and which is why I did the Admiral Janeway cosplay at Star Trek Celebration a while back. Because um, she's awesome. I mean, she's a slightly stereotype of her character. <laughs> Some of the way she mm-hmm. announces stuff. But it's just cool to see her on screen for a second. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Those 10 seconds are the, the best bit of the film. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Jen, I mean, we have sort of slated this, but is there stuff that you yeah. enjoy about it? I did enjoy the Janeway cameo as well. And I think I enjoyed it a lot more this time around than mm. when I originally saw it. Because when it originally came out, I hadn't seen much of Voyager. Okay. Um, my mm. watching on it has been spotty and I've only done a watch through of it um, basically over the last year mm-hmm. and a bit. I did a proper watch through from beginning to end. Nice. And so my appreciation of her character has grown a lot since then. Um, while I agree with you on the choice of the song, I did enjoy the actual singing of Blue Skies. That's fair. Um, and I enjoy it more because they picked it up for Picard. 
um, the very first scene of the first episode of Picard. That's the song that's playing in mm-hmm. <laughs> Picard's dream. See, that's part of the annoyance for this film. Because they chose that song in this film, it means we have to keep hearing it. <laughs> it's got to come up in it's the next one. It's a good song, yeah. though. It is a genuinely good song. Although it's funny, because when I watched it in Picard, I was like listening to the music and I was like, why? Like, what is... And so then I went and looked it up. Right. And all of the, the people who had like already made the connection were like... It's the song that Data was singing. Data's going to be in this. This is going to be about Data. And it was sort of like, okay. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I enjoyed that bit. Um, I enjoyed the other Romulans, like, on the fringes. Um, I have always enjoyed the Romulans. I wanted to see more about them. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the tie-in novel, and I enjoyed Picard being about sort of more of the Romulan uh, aspects. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I enjoyed those sorts of fringe bits of the film. Mm. Um, Commander Dinatra uh, of the Romulans was played by Dina Meyer, mm. who was in Starship Troopers. and uh, She's also in Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> yes, she's also where in... I immediately recognized her from. <laughs> she's also in Dragonheart. <laughs> Nice. I I think she's also in the Birds of Prey TV show. She was Batgirl. Could be. I think. And so she was in the the Arrow crossover episode that featured them. It's like, cool. She's never there, William. (laughs) Although it's funny because watching her character originally, it was like, okay, she's, you know, she helps with the coup, but then has second thoughts and like takes back Romulus. And it was like, okay, that's like, that's a cool, interesting character. I kind of want to know more about her. And then with recent events, watching her now, it's like, you don't get to go back that. Like, mm. no, no, no. You got to, like, have some consequences for your role in this. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, that's... I need to sit with that a bit. Yeah, it's a good Romulan sort of characterization that, you know, whichever the way the wind is blowing, looking after your own interests. But mm-hmm. also, yes, mm-hmm. difficult to face in the events of, like, this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I just think Dina Meyer lends herself well to playing a Romulan. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. the the women in Romulan society have always been very like uh, strong and forthright, mm-hmm. and so I've always kind of wanted to see more of that. Yeah, I remember at the time they did try to get Denise Crosby in this, but they couldn't work out a way to in- insert the character of Sailor, which right. probably good. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mandy, is there anything that we've not commented on that you wanted to call out? Um, Picard called Riker Mr. Troy. As it should be. I call Joseph Mr. Ottaway all the time and he hates it, but I love it. It's such a silly thing, but it brings me joy, okay? Stop looking at me like that. <sighs> I I wouldn't mind the joke <sighs> if it wasn't supposed to be, ha ha, he's emasculated. And his response yes. is like, oh, I'm not the wife. I mean, that's how Joseph reacts to me every time. So it's just, <laughs> it's just that, again, it's it's showing its 2000s-ness yes. very, very well. Like, if he went, yeah, damn right I am, because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Also, did okay. you meet my dad? I kind of hate him. <laughs> he's, he's a jerk. So, <laughs> Mr. Troy, all right. <laughs> Um, I wasn't going to cry in this movie, but I did. Yeah, I did too. Probably different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) I did get teary-eyed at the very, very end um, when the song started playing again. Like you were getting kind of like the wrap-up. It it brought tears to my eyes. I choked up a little bit. I understand that there are parts of this movie that aren't good. Um... But I maintain that I enjoyed it. So. Good. That's all. Good. Yes. <laughs> Was there anything else on your list, Jen? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Have we, have we taken I, it apart? I enjoy too? this movie. <laughs> the part of the movie I enjoy is the parts where I can think of many ways that it could be better. Mm. <laughs> 
Because I do enjoy being like, so if this, this, and this happened, then all of a sudden, like, the movie's improved. Yeah. Yeah. The seeds are there. I think. And, and, and this I, is, again, disproving the every other Star Trek movie is good. Because Star Trek Ten is pretty poor. This one. <laughs> but it supports that if you insert Galaxy Quest That's in true. as That's a true. Star Trek movie, mm. the ordering is restored. Okay. <laughs> Never give up. Never sorry. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd so much rather have watched that film. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's put this one behind us. And Matthew, what are we watching next? Next, next, next is Robin's Hood. Robin's Hood, Robin's Hood. Robin's Riding Hood. through the Glen. <laughs> Brilliant. We're going to try something that we have, all, well, I've always wanted to try, that we've never really done two films in one episode. I mean, we we did it with uh, Die Hard 4 and 5. Yeah, because we knew there wasn't going to be much to talk about those films. This is two films where okay. there's stuff to talk about and compare. <laughs> All right. So we are doing uh, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. Robin Hood, and Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, Prince in Tights as And well. Men in Tights. Men in Tights. Men in Tights. See, I tights, haven't seen these tights. movies. I don't actually know what they're called. So <laughs> Robin's Hood. That's, what that's basically doing. what we're going with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to give us your opinions on Star Trek Nemesis, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Or, even better, send us your feedback, thoughts, opinions, memories for our final, final episode um, at any of those places. I am also on Twitter at Mandy K. And I'm on Twitter at Matthew Bose. Jen? We're sorry it was Nemesis, but it is wonderful. <laughs> no, having... Matthew, sorry it was Nemesis. <laughs> We're all sorry that anyone... Anyway, um, it is wonderful to talk to you as ever, and it's been so cool having you on, so thank yes. you. Oh, thank you guys for asking me back. Absolutely. Do, do you know, any future Pop Culture Pride, if you want to come and... <laughs> <laughs> Probs not. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any, any shout-outs for social media or anything? Uh well, for social media, you can find me mostly on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at generosity. Um, you can find me tweeting away about all sorts of stuff there. And that's probably the best place to find me right now. A, a great follow. You call out such in interesting things about obviously all the pop culture and all the media in the world and things that are going on, as well as, hey, I'm doing this thing to try and relax more or deal with stuff in my life more <laughs> or stay on top of things. And, uh, you know, going into a new year, it's been just wonderful to go, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. So strong, strong recommendation. <laughs> strong recommendations, okay. Well, thank you. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by our lovely listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and bonus shows and early shows and physical merch and all sorts of things as well as the glow in your heart about supporting our content and helping us develop those new shows. So if you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about two movies, both called Robin Hood. Until then, I am Amy Kay. And how do you like a trip to Romulus? Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.